Um, as we start this morning, I got two things I want to do real quickly. One is uh, I want to thank God for the opportunity to be back and um, talk about how weather affects your mentality while you're flying. When they tell you that you're going to be waiting on them to de-ice the wings and then they use water to do that with in 15 degree weather, it's a little freaky. I'm just going to be honest with everyone. <laughs> but other than that, everything went good. Uh, but thank you for praying, as I said earlier. And uh, I thank God for folks like Blake who can fill in and leave us in a position where we don't have scrambling to get somebody here and, and the willingness that Blake has. So thank you also for, for your service. Um, this morning, I want to start with a quiz. And I don't want you to think real hard about your answers. So if you, I want you to raise your hand as soon as you hear the question, if you uh, agree with it. If you think the answer is yes, then I want you to raise your hand or whatever it might be. But how many of you in here believe that you are perfect? How many of you in here believe that you are perfect? Normally there's at least one. That little hand went up right there. I see it. (laughs) Brittany would agree with that, wouldn't you? (laughs) But um, how many of you believe it is possible for someone who is still living to become perfect? All right, we did get a hand there. But, you know, here's the thing. If you notice, a few hands might have been raised, if any. Um, But, you know, we had a couple hands go up. And the thing is, is that I suspect suspect the reason that your hands didn't go up, and I want to address this this morning. We're starting a new series today called Growing Pains. It's going to take us through the month of January. But I think right now is no, I mean, to follow up Blake's sermon last week and, and take us into the new year. I feel like it's uh, there's no better time than now to address this. And, uh, you know, perfection for many of us means sinlessness. That's just what it's come down to. That's how we have adapted the word in our own minds. It's how we have translated that for many years. And to be honest with you, without a knowledge of, of where things come from, sometimes, you know, it, it goes back. Uh, Romans 3.23, we've talked about this verse many times here. For all of sin and fall short of the glory of God. And talking about sinlessness and perfection are two different things. And we need to address that this morning. You know, let's let's consider this real quickly. And, and the reason I say that they're two different things, if you'll bear with me, you may understand a little bit better that we may not understand necessarily what the biblical word perfection means. And this is why I mentioned to you this morning. Um, Genesis 6, 9 says Noah was just a man and perfect in his generation and Noah walked with God. Now, Philippians 3, 15 says, let us therefore as many as be perfect be thus minded. Now, either the scripture is saying that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, but then it's talking about perfection, which would mean that that verse is wrong or we need to look at this in a different way. And, you know, I started looking at this and studying this a while back, thinking about these words. And, you know, there's something about the biblical concept of of perfection that we don't understand. Now, Matthew 5, I believe, indicates that there is something about perfection that we need to actually take a hold of. You know, the real biblical concept of perfection can be best summed up in maybe uh, a story 
of the history of a donut. And I know this is going to sound really funny at first. But how many of you really know where donuts came from? Not Krispy Kreme. That's not the answer. But they do now. But the history of the donut, you know, the most popular donut in the world is the glazed donut. We all know that. Everybody knows what a glazed donut is. You know what it looks like. But, you know, they originated in 16th century Holland. They were cooked in wool and they were so greasy that the Dutch called them oily cakes. Um, the pilgrims who lived in Holland brought the cakes with them when they came to America. And their version was a round doughy ball about the size of a nut, thus the term donut. And now the origin of the donut hole is intriguing. It seems there was a Captain Hanson Gregory. Now, if you know this story, then just bear with me. Cause I'm, but he was a 19th century Maine sea captain who was eating a donut while sailing through a storm. Suddenly the ship was rocked violently and he was thrown against the ship's wheel. And it impaled the cake on one of its spokes. Seeing how well the spoke held his cake, he began ordering all of his cakes with holes in them. And donuts were popularized in the U.S. after the Salvation Army fed donuts cooked in garbage pails and served on bayonets to troops during World War I. And the soldiers got so hooked on them they were called doughboys. So basically, we get to the point of where a donut came from. Now I got a question for you. When you eat a donut, what's left when you're done? When you finish a donut, what's left when you're done? Sticky fingers. The hole. You can't eat the donut hole, can you? No. <clears throat> so to say that perfection is the same as sinlessness, and, and I'm, I say that story just to alliterate or to illustrate here. If we say that perfection is the same as sinlessness, and bear with me because some of you, I, I've seen the looks on your faces already. But if we say that perfection is the same as sinlessness, then what we're basically saying is that the donut is the same as the donut hole. Now, does that make sense to anyone? If we're saying that perfection, it's basically saying that the donut is the whole. And that it's not the cake. But it's not true. I mean, and, and I know it's confusing to think about. So bear with me. Let's look at this real quickly. Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5 is where we're going to start today. I want to answer this question. What is perfection? We're going to start there, and over the next few weeks, we're going to learn what it means uh, to grow up, basically. We're going to talk about a little bit deeper and try to move forward into this year all grown up, so to speak. Growing up, growing pains, going through the difficult times, going through the things that cause you to grow. We've all thought about them, but Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 43, it says, You have heard that it was said. You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. And pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. That you may be the sons of your Father in heaven. For he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good. Sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet your brethren only... What do you do more than others? Not even the tax collectors do so. Therefore, you shall be perfect just as your Father in heaven is perfect. Now bear with me. 
this morning. Verse 48 is something I'm really going to focus on. But I want to look at this really quickly. In Matthew chapter 5 here, the word teleos shows up. And it's translated as perfect. Um, and, and in fact, in the New Testament, it shows up quite a few times. It's always translated as perfect. And, you know, there is one passage where it's translated a little differently. And I want to look at that passage before I move any farther this morning. And that passage is in Hebrews chapter tw- 5, verses 12 through 14. Hebrews 5, verses 12 through 14 says it to us this way. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God, and you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But solid food belongs to those who are of full age, that is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. All right, verse 14 is where we find that word again. But here it talks about coming to age. It talks about coming of full age. So if a word can be translated in those two ways, I want to ask you, could perfection mean sinlessness? Or does it just mean coming of age? If that same word is used in translation to mean both words, to mean both definitions, and I even had Blake look it up this morning, or asked him about it. He did look it up this morning, and those were the two definitions you came up with, right? The short answer was perfection or coming of age. But it's kind of like the English language. We have the word love, which means so many different things, and it depends on the context in which it is used. So my question is, in these circumstances and situations, if we're looking at it in this way, and, and yes, I know it's a stretch and it's, and it's something that many of you probably are, are like, what in the world is he talking about? Well, as we go through the rest of this this morning, just bear with me and please open your mind to the possibility of what I'm saying. I'm not saying that we're, perf- that we're perfect in the term of perfect and what it means. I'm not saying that perfection is something that we will ever grasp necessarily. What I'm saying is, that we can come of age. And what it could mean in some of these scriptures is that what we're looking at here is that what we're seeing is that we are afraid to grow because we're scared of certain words. We're scared of certain meanings. We're scared of certain thoughts. We're scared that certain things in the scripture couldn't ever apply to us because we can never live up to a standard. I'm here to tell you it's not about you living up to a standard today. So what we're looking at is basically this. In Hebrews, it says anyone who still lives on milk, still being an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness, basically. It's basically saying to us that this teleos, this maturity, solid food is for the mature. And over the next few weeks, I really hope that we can get past the milk of the word and dive into the meat of what is being said to us as Christians. What is being said to us As followers of Christ, you know, in short, what I'm basically saying is we need to learn how to behave like adults. And I think that stretches far beyond the church today. I think that stretches far beyond these walls, because the reality of it is, is that when we look at the world around us, when we look at the things that are taking place around us today, 
it is evident that we have yet to become adults spiritually. Because the church has backed down. The church has stopped taking stands. The church has stopped being there as a moral compass for the world. And the world is basically falling away. The world is taking its own way. Now, we've never supposed to have been part of the world. We've always supposed to have been separated from the world. But when, I want, when we look at this word, when we look at what it's saying here in Matthew chapter 5, there's a certain kind of behavior that you need to exhibit is what it says. In verse 45, it tells us that. In verse 45, it says that you may be sons of your father in heaven and he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. There is no separation in how God pours out his spirit. There is no separation in how God handles the day-to-day things. The separation comes in who receives it and who doesn't. And we've talked about this over the last uh, few weeks as we've talked in Romans. We've talked about this separation that God has, that there is in this world. But what we see is that there's a certain behavior that you have to exhibit to be called a son of God. Sons of your father in heaven. So when we get to verse 48, when Jesus is saying, be perfect like your father in heaven is perfect. Could he be saying to grow up to be like your father in heaven? I mean, he's perfect. We know that God is sinless. Jesus was sinless. Yes, I can tell you that perfection in that sense does mean sinless. But in us, maybe the term perfection for us to be perfect like God is perfect means that he has done a work in us. It means that we have come of age. We have matured. We have reached a point in our life where he has done something in us that no one else could have done. Nothing that we could have done on our own. Nothing that you could have done for me or I for you. We have reached perfection because we've come of age. We have grown up like our Father in heaven. How many of you in here today can think back on your childhood and realize the moment where you thought, I want to be like dad. I want to grow up like my father. He's a great example here on this earth for me. Or maybe it was your mother. You know, it may not be your father. It might be your mother. Or it may be someone else in your life. But you've thought at some point, that person is someone I want to strive to be. That person is someone I want to be like. Because of the way that they live their life. For many of us in this church today, I know one name that we could all think about. It's Mr. Jim Heaton. The man woke up and he sang every morning. And he lived his life according to the word in his heart. Because he knew it. And he took it. And he, and he made it something. For me, it was my dad. I, can, I, you know, I strove, always wanted to be like him. I always, and now that I kind of am it's kind of scary because I never really thought I would be doing practically all the same things but the thing is is that what I realized more than anything I'm not trying to be Jim Green I'm trying to be like my father in heaven because that's who my dad tried to be like that's who Jim Heaton tried to be like that's who any of those who we have had as spiritual advisors in life have tried to mimic and that is Christ So when we really look at it, what is Jesus possibly saying? He's possibly telling us here to grow up like our father in heaven, 
to allow our lives to come to full maturity in the spirit, to get off of the milk and get into the word and do something about it in the way that we should. So what does it mean to grow up like God? What does it mean for us to grow up like God? Well, in this passage, Jesus doesn't really say anything about being sinless necessarily. He just talks about perfection. What does he say is that growing up like God means that you love your enemies. It means that you pray for those who persecute you. Jesus says to do that right here. Verse 44 tells us to love our enemies. Why would that be something we need to do? Why would that be something we need to strive to do? There's no greater example than what Jesus did on the cross to show the love that God had for his enemies. And in fact, each one of us, when separated from the spirit of God, is an enemy of God, correct? I mean, if we really want to get down to the nuts and bolts of it all and what it really means. In fact, you see, that's how God behaves. God is the grown up. He is the one who exhibited the behavior first. And the behavior is what he wants us to model. He wants us to love our enemies. That's where we've got it wrong in the world today. We bicker, we fight, we argue, we get at each other's throats over the slightest little thing. And it could even mean that it's what a word means in the scripture or what a verse means in the Bible. Folks, when it comes down to it today, should we even be arguing over spiritual matters or should we be striving to be like Christ? Should we strive to be like God? Should we forgive the enemies we have? And should we look to be the example? Should we be the grown up in the situation? You see why I called this growing pains? Because if you only love those who are nice to you, if you only love those who love you, so to speak, little kids know how to do that, don't they? I mean... They get their friends in kindergarten or first grade or second grade or third grade or whatever. I mean, it graduates into the high school years. We we have our little cliques. We've got this little group that we love to be around. And then you've got that group that you despise. In fact, some of us have carried that into adulthood. And we can't say anything nice about certain groups of people. Certain people really get on our nerves to the point where all we want to do is talk bad about them. All we want to do is tear them down. All we want to do is argue with them because we just don't understand how they could be like that. We all know those people. I mean, all you got to do is spend time around a, a, a select group of people that are that consider themselves good friends and eventually somewhere in the conversation, you're probably going to hear, well, can you believe he did that? Can you believe she did this? I mean, it's a common theme in the world today. We argue, we backbite, and we are so immature when it comes to things within the world. But what we really need to look at even more than that is when that carries over into the church, that's when we start to see the splits. It's when we start to see people stop showing up because they just can't get over it. They just can't put bygones away they just can't get themselves to that maturity level to stay because so and so disagreed with them about the color of the carpet or so and so disagreed with them about whether it should have been stained glass or what kind of light fixtures we should have had or whatever the case might be the reality of it is 
God modeled this type of love that we need to have. Colossians 1, 21 and 22 says, Once you were alienated from God and you were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he is reconciled to you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation. God made the first move. God made the first step. God took the step to grow up to say, I'm grown up in this and this is this situation. You have treated me like this, but now I'm going to love you to the point of redemption. Are we willing to love others that way today? You see what it means. And what I'm getting at, teleos may not necessarily always mean sinless perfection. It might mean coming of age in maturity. It might mean that we can be perfect because the perfect one gave his life for us. Because through that, we have been given an example of how to come of age, how to grow. And yes, it's going to be painful. Yes, the next few weeks will probably be painful for us to look at. But the reality of it is, is that if we don't learn to get off the milk and get in the meat, we are going to find ourselves just coasting along. But we're not going to really get to the meat of the matter. We talked a little bit about this Wednesday in some ways where we just kind of skim across the surfaces and we don't preach the gospel. I mean, we've talked about that on Wednesdays a few times, haven't we? We don't we're afraid to actually dive in to what the Bible is actually saying. Well, I'm here. I'm here to tell you today, if we don't start this year this way, we'll never finish it this way. If we don't start the year by getting into what the real meaning of what God did for us is, if we don't start the year by really diving in and seeing the reality of what love is all about, if we don't dive in and get to the meat of the word, then basically we're just going to coast along having a glass of milk every once in a while. I mean, I can preach the same messages we've heard over and over. I can go back to January 1 of last year, and if that's what y'all want for next week, you know, I'll give them to somebody else and they can preach them this time so that you hear it differently. I don't know. I mean, if we're going to go over the same things over and over and over again, if we're going to teach the same Bible stories the same way, we're never going to grow. And this isn't physical growth. I'm not talking about us physically growing as a church. I'm not talking about me physically growing out of my clothes. I'm not talking about any of those things. I'm talking about spiritual growth. Us actually diving in, learning who God is in our lives and applying that on a daily basis. If you're willing to do that with me, then let's do this. Let's move forward in that way. And let's talk about these growing pains that are to come. The father loved us when we were his enemies. He loved us when we were against him. And now he's telling us that we need to learn how to love others in the same way. You know, you heard that in the scripture quite often. Love others in the same way that God loves you. Beloved, let us love one another for love is of God and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who loves not is, does not know God because God is love. Isn't that 1 John 4, 7 and 8. Isn't that what we think about when we sing that little song? Beloved, let us love one another. Actually, we've never sang that since I've been here. But I know we grew up on it because I, I remember hearing it in BBS all the time. The reality is we've forgotten the last part of that. 
And that is God is love. What is love? That's what we need to really define. What is love? Love is God. There is no other definition that will ever show you what true love is because it's every action that God took to redeem man back to himself is love. He created man because he loved the world and wanted to give something and have something and talk with something. And then man fell away because of sin. And the redemption is the love of God that he gave us a way back when we were not worth it. The reality of it is we weren't worth it. If we look at it through worldly terms, we were not worth the sacrifice of Christ on the cross. But to God, we were. To God, we were worth every last drop of Christ's blood. To God, we were worth every last ounce of Christ's energy to get to that mountain, to die for our sins. Because we were worth that much to him because it gave us the way back. It gave us the opportunity to come back to him as redeemed, as perfect. As an individual who has been made perfect through the blood of Christ. You see, the Apostle John expands on what this is saying. But it's all part of being grown up and and loving our enemies and being a mature Christian. But John expounds on it in 1 John 4.16. We know and rely on the love of God or on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in if you want to know what love is look at first john 4 if you really want to know what love is look at what is it second corinthians 13 i mean it gives you little word definitions love is patient love is kind love does not envy it does not boast it holds no record of wrong how many of us today can say that we hold no record of wrong How many of us today can say that we don't remember what someone did to us 30 years ago that still eats at us every single day because we've not forgiven them because we don't love them as God loved us? Folks, if you're holding on to something for 20 or 30 years, you need to let it go because I promise you, it's in the past. As we start this year, we put the past in the past. I'm not saying make a resolution. I'm saying change it, let it go, leave it there and move forward in Christ because that is what the plan for your life is. That is what has been set before you is that we should seek perfection. We should seek the perfection that God has for us through Christ and his blood that we can find it in him and only in him can we be made whole. Can we come of age? Can we grow up to the point of what we need to be? You see, it's just one of the ways we can grow up to be like God. Luke 6, 35, we're told that God is merciful. Jesus said, be merciful as your father is merciful. We're told in 1 John 1, 5, God is light. Jesus taught, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and do what? Praise your father in heaven. You see, coming of age means others see him in you. Reaching maturity, reaching perfection means that God is seen in who you are. It means that God is is evident in the way that you live. We know that God is holy because God even told us in Leviticus, he's holy. He says, I am the Lord, your God. Consecrate yourselves and be holy because I am holy. 
We are to strive to be like God. That's one thing that's common throughout Scripture, not just the New Testament. That's something that was common in the Old Testament. Noah was seen as holy because Noah lived for God. Noah was seen as perfect because Noah did what he could do. And based on the rest of his generation, he wasn't sinful. But yet we know Noah sinned. I mean, after the ark, we see the evidence of that. Noah, by no stretch, according to earthly terms, was perfect. But in the eyes of God, Noah had achieved perfection within his generation because he had grown and come of age and known God. We could go on and on about the ways in which we could try to become like our Heavenly Father, in which we could grow to be like God. You know, it's building us to want to be like our fathers. I mentioned that earlier. And the reality of it is, is that you can see this in little kids. You can see this in children, toddlers especially. I mean, little sons, when they're running around and they're, I mean, what do they want to do? Or if you go to a preschool and you ask kids what they want to do, how many of those little boys are saying, I want to do what my dad does? You know, my dad's a fireman. I want to be a fireman. I had a video. I don't know where it is now. My dad was a Kearns bread man. No kid aspires to be a bread man, but I did because that's what my dad did. I loved every minute of it. And I can remember that day well because they asked us what we wanted to be. I said a bread man and I got a lecture on the way home about how that was not the proper job for me. But the reality of it is, is we want to be like the father that we know. We want to be like the one who set that example in our lives. In fact, I mean, if you think about it, what's something that little kids like to do? Maybe they get into their dad's closet and do what? Put on their shoes. They put on their shoes and they walk around in them. And at first, those shoes are way too big. And it's funny to see, but as a child grows and comes of age, what happens? Their feet grow in to the father's shoes, maybe even surpass them. But the reality of it is, is it's just like life. We can walk around with those shoes on. We can stumble around trying to be like that person who we idolize, who we love. And in fact, when you come to know Christ, you put your feet in his shoes. They're going to be huge at first. You'll think you'll never feel them. But as you come of age and you start to take in the meat, you start to really take in the core of what it's all about. You really start to understand the scripture. You start to study and make it more of your life and you get to the point where you never fill the shoes. Let's face it, we're not filling those shoes. But you come of age. You stop stumbling so much. You start to be able to carry yourself but it's always because there's someone helping you along. When you come of age in God, God is made perfect in you. What is it the word says? It says to us, it says, my strength is made perfect in weakness. It's okay to be weak. It's okay to have those moments in your life because that's what Paul tells us when he's talking about the thorn in his side that God said to him, he said that that my strength is made perfect in your weakness. If God's strength is made perfect in our weakness, then why do we not strive to become like him rather than striving to do things perfectly? 
I'm not saying that we should go around sinning. That's not where we're going with this. That's not what the next few weeks is about. But what I am saying is this. We serve a God who loves. And because of that, we should love one another. In other words, God's saying, put on my shoes, walk in my steps, strive to grow up like me in how you love and how you show mercy and how you give light to the world around you and how you attempt to become holy. And what we see is that basically all I've done is introduce the next couple of weeks. The next mark of maturity that we're going to talk about, and I believe sums up a lot of the others, is this attitude that we can carry. But the trait is servanthood. There is a trait of servanthood that we have missed somewhere along the way. We don't serve one another unless it benefits us. That's got to change, y'all. We have to change that today. The servanthood that we can have in this life does not need to be because of what we'll get out of it. If we're serving others because of what we might get out of it, we are serving for all the wrong reasons. If Christ served and died just so he could get what he could get, was his sacrifice worth it for us? No. If Christ had died on the cross for Christ's own reasons. Now, we can argue about whether or not the reasons, yes, the reasons were to serve us and give us hope and give us something, but it was for the love of God that he died. Christ died for what his father's will was. He didn't die just so that he could be praised and become the, the icon that we all worship today. If Christ had died with that mentality, Christ was not the perfect son of God. Being a servant means that we are truly grown up, that we are truly of the attitude in our lives, that we don't care how old a person may be, if they don't learn to be servants, they will never be mature. We got to realize that today. I don't care how old you are, how mature you are according to the world. If you do not learn how to be a servant, you have never developed spiritual maturity. You've never gotten to a point that maturity mattered. You know, all adults have this quality about them. If we want to be what we've been created to be, we have to come to full maturity within the word. We have to allow God to break through in us and become like him. Plain and simple. Will we ever achieve that? Probably not. But if we're not striving to achieve that, then we're not even close. Because when we do strive to achieve that and we live a day-to-day -day life and we get ourselves to that point, the Spirit of God takes over and it comes in and it finishes the job that we started through Christ. But if our, if our maturity level never gets past that starting point, if we never allow ourselves to be broken and brought back, if we never allow ourselves to get to that point of maturity, then how can the Spirit take hold and finish the job finish the work that God needs to finish within us. You know, in other words, we have responsibilities. We have chores. We aren't just given this. A teacher gave her class of second graders a lesson on magnets. And you know, it's funny. She gave this lesson and she asked them at the end of, of the day, 
My full name has six letters. The first one is M. I pick up things. What am I? Oh, yeah, magnet. Over 50% of the class turned in the answer mother. I mean, you're talking about a second grade class, of course, but when they were turned in, over 50% of the class had put down the answer mother. Why? Because mothers do exactly what she described. It starts with M, it's six letters, and she picks up things, right? When you're a kid, your mother picks up after you. She cleans your room, then tells you to do it next time, then does it next time, right, Cindy? <laughs> but kids don't understand servanthood. They don't understand that mom was known to be a good servant. That that's what their mother was doing. You know, in Mark ten forty five, it says, The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And in Philippians 2, 5 through 8, we all know this. I read it quite often. But it says, Your attitude should be that of Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. As important as those words were, Jesus knew the example was an even better teacher than word. As important as the words that Paul shared there are, Jesus took that example just a step further. He didn't just preach the message. He lived it and he took it to the cross. He didn't give up before the task was done. And too many times today, we as Christians give up before we grow up because we're too scared to see what that path might hold. Today, I want to challenge you over the next few weeks. Don't give up before we grow up, please. Let's grow up together in the word and let's see what God has for us. We're going to talk about ways that we can serve within this church, that we can serve within the community. We're going to try to learn how to shift these childhood chores, so to speak, into actual working relationships and taking them to the responsibilities of serving God as an adult. We spend enough of our time trying to grow up to be like our father. After a while, we're going to start to look like our father. I don't know how many of you know the story of the man of the mountain. Now, we can talk about Grandfather Mountain a little bit, but there's, a, there's an old proverb or historical story, and I don't know how true it is. It talks about, it's a belief from New England or somewhere in the Northeast, talking about the man of the mountain. That there was a, a mountain that kind of looked like an old man, and there was this old man who had a view of that from his front yard, and he just was enthralled by it, and he started to look at this so much that eventually he started to look like a mountain. But he, he began to resemble the man of the mountain that they talked about. But here's the thing. I don't know the reality of that. I mean, that's like saying that somebody sat in Bosco and looked at Grandfather Mountain long enough uh, and then eventually started to look like, I always thought Grandfather Mountain looked like Abraham Lincoln. So, you know, I don't know. But the reality of it is simply this. No matter what it looks like, the story can give us a little bit of insight in how we need to do God. Because if our eyes are always on God, if we're always looking at what He looks like and we're striving to follow that path, eventually we're going to start looking like Him. We're going to start 
living like Him. We're going to start being like Him to those around us. And when it's all said and done, they're going to know a little bit more about who He is just simply based on the fact of who we are. And that example that you set for them, being the adult, growing up spiritually, setting that example, and then they can take that, see that, and eventually their transition, just as ours has, from watching Jamie, or watching Jim Green, or watching whoever it may be in your life, your transition went from watching that person as your spiritual example to what? You transitioned into watching God because that's who they directed you to. And then as you think about that and you go forward, then you're going to be that for someone else. And eventually that transition is going to happen there too. And you're going to go from watching them to watching Him. And He's going to be the one that they see through you. So as we do this over the next few weeks, Let's please strive to be more like Him. As we close out today, we're going to sing the first verse of Amazing Grace.